This is Elvis Andrew of the Texas Ranger, and you're listening to the Rangers Nation podcast. This is manager Chris Woodward from the Texas Rangers. You're listening to the Rangers Nation podcast. Welcome to Rangers Nation podcast, talking all things Texas Rangers. Rangers Nation podcast is a part of Dallas Sports Nation, providing coverage of all your DFW sports teams. Now here's your host, Texas Rangers blogger, the Recliner Nerd. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Rangers Nation's podcast. I'm your host, the Recliner Nerd, and today's episode is former Rangers Q&A. Yes, yeah, the former Rangers Q&A on a Zoom call. We let some of the fans come in and ask questions. We had former big leaguers Jeff Rye. Darren Oliver, and David Hulse, who joined us. And what we're going to do is let some of the fans, you guys out there, ask some questions, and then I had some questions for them also. And we're going to get right to it right after this. This is Willie Calhoun of the Texas Rangers. You're listening to the Rangers Nation podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Rangers Nation's podcast. I'm your host, the recliner nerd, John Moore, and today's episode is... The former Ranger Roundtable Q&A. We've got some guests that are come on and going to ask these guys some questions. Uh, we got three former Texas Rangers here. We got, first of all, obviously certified hitting guru and confirmed Judy, only by one. Only one is, the, is allowed to call him the confirmed Judy. Played eight years in the big leagues with the Rangers, Red Sox, and Rockies. Drafted by Texas in the 30th round of the 1988 MLB draft out of Southeastern Oklahoma State University. Same year Darren was drafted, but he went a couple of rounds earlier. Um, he is responsible for the Shegon movement, Jeff Fry. Jeff, what's up, bud? What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us. We also have David Hulse, played five years in the big leagues with the Texas Rangers and Milwaukee Brewers. He was drafted in the 13th round of 1990 out of Shriner University in Kerrville, Texas. Played high school in San Angelo, Texas. He is a certified dugout clearer. He is also point man in the investigation of how Jose Canseco let a ball hit off his head for a home run. He's with us now, David Hulse. David, thanks for joining us, bud. Hello, human. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he played 20 years in the major leagues with the Rangers, Cardinals, Red Sox, Rockies, Marlins, Astros, Mets, Angels, and Blue Jays. Drafted by the Texas Rangers in 1988 in the third round out of Rio Linda High School in Rio Linda, California, son of Bob Oliver, who played eight years in the big leagues. He is now a special assistant to GM John Daniel, and he also cheats at Words with Friends. Everybody welcome Darren Oliver. Darren, what's up, sir? Hey, how you guys doing? Wouldn't it have been easier to say who he didn't play with? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Darren, um, I was looking over all of it today. I was like, I forgot he was there 20 years. I thought it was 15, but you snuck five extra in. We got some questions on that. Guys, I appreciate you coming in. Um, and for the Words with Friends thing, Darren and I have kind of played Words with Friends off and on for years. And I swear to you, if we've played 100 games, he's won 95 of them. And every time I think I'm ahead of him, he comes up with that 95-word xylophone or something that he pulls out of thin air. <laughs> and I'm always like, what the hell? And I'll message him, and he'll be like, Oh, you know, what, what do you do? What, what, he's got a thesaurus next to him or something like that. I don't know. All right, guys, listen, we're going to open this up to – we've got some people that want to ask some questions to you. I've got some questions too, and I'll, I'll start out. Uh, Darren, I want to ask with you real quick. Um, your father was a big leaguer eight years. And now, obviously, do you remember him uh, as a kid? Did you get to go out to the ballpark a lot as a kid when your dad was playing? All the time. It was great. And then, you know, actually back then – we used to go with, he played winter ball. So he played winter ball in Venezuela. And actually back then they made a lot more money in winter ball 
than they did during the season. Um, you know, those guys, they worked, yeah, they worked in the off season. He was a cop in the off season. So it, the money wasn't like it was now. So it was, it was a lot different. So what, what is your, what is your best memory of that? When, when you got to go with him to the ballparks, any great memories, maybe somebody that, you know, I know you guys brought your kids to ballparks. We've always seen it. Anybody's gone to the old ballpark in Arlington, the new old ballpark in Arlington, right there next door. We've seen firework night or something like that when you guys have your kids there. Was there a memory, Darren, a special one? Uh, this, you're the only one I can ask. Your dad was a big leaguer that you can remember. Oh, man, somebody came and talked to me that night or threw, played catch with me or something. Um, probably the biggest memory is after the game. My brother and I used to go around and we used to pop the cups that people would leave, like their beer cups or whatever, and just run around on the field all day. Um, it was nothing to do with what happened during the game. It was always before and after the game. Like, hey, what time are we leave for the park, Dad? And just going out there and just messing around. And, you know, back then, you could kind of do whatever you wanted to do. Um, there was no security. You could kind of run around. And, like, during the game, you could be in the clubhouse. It was a lot different than it is now. Now, <clears throat> so where – now, how old were you when your dad retired? God, he must have been like in the early 70s. So I was born in 70s. So I guess I was probably like, I think I was seven when he retired. Okay. Well, he didn't really retire. You know, usually, let's be honest, none of us retire. We're kind of forced out. But yeah, we'll just say retired. Yep. I've got questions on that. I've already asked, I've already asked Friday about that one. The day you knew that it was over. I got one for you and Hulse when that comes up later. All right. So with us right now, who has joined us so far, we've got Brendan, Matt, Naomi, Seth, and. Who else we got there? Matt, Naomi, Seth, Eric. Eric's here also. Any of you guys got a question for I, I can ask questions, or do you guys have a question? Just give me a hand wave if you've got something. All right, we got Seth. Seth is going to ask something here. You there? Okay, you got me? Gotcha. <laughs> okay. Well, I do appreciate it. Uh, you guys, all three of you guys are in my wheelhouse. Um, back when my baseball consciousness came, came about um, and, and got to see all three of you play. It was, so it's an honor. Um, the, the one question I've got is I've got my boy sitting here with me who uh, <coughs> the Sheikah movement as well. <laughs> um, he struggles with being positive with, within the game. Baseball's a game of failure. Everybody says you always, you know, you're going to strike out, you're going to make an error all that stuff. So for former big leaguers like you guys, what are some tips? What are some things that, that helped you guys stay focused and ignore the, the negatives and move forward and, and continue to be successful and stay positive within the game? Well, just so you know, I'm going to let David Holtz answer that question because he had about, he, he kind of coaches about 10 select baseball teams right now. So he has to deal with that on a daily basis. So go ahead and get it, Holtz. All right, I pretty much tell them the same way I thought when I played. Um, I could hear all 80,000 people when I was on defense and made a mistake. But when I was hitting, I did not hear one person or one sound. That's how focused I was. So when I'm coaching 12-year-olds and 16-year-olds, they got to block out their parents most of the time because they're telling them what to do every single pitch. But I just tell them, you're only as good as your last at bat. If you have a great at bat, you should take that out to, into the field on defense and play great defense. If you make a great play on defense, you should bring that in and you should be confident when you come up to bat. But if you have a bat at bat, you just have to say, 
all right, I had a bad at bat, but I get one or two more, it's over. And the very next time I step in there, I say, all right, we're right back to fastball, middle way, wherever it is. I'm going to be confident and I'm going to get a base hit or hit the ball hard at least. You know, if I make an error on defense, then your teammates should be picking you up as well. So like you said, it is about 90% mental. And I have to tell 16-year-olds still every single game, get your head up, man. That's just one play. You're about to hit again in another inning or two. Go right back to your approach, reset, restart, and let's go from there. Strike one, strike two, strike three. And then after a game, if you have a terrible game, it's over. I mean, you'll go home and be mad for a little bit. You know, we do it in the big leagues too. But when we would struggle, we would come out real early and break it down from square one again and just start hitting off the tee, soft toss, whatever it is, and start our swing over again so that we came in fresh and new and confident the next day. Thank you. Is that good, Seth? That's good. Hey, like, okay, Seth, thanks for the question. And, guys, uh, anytime you think of another question, don't hesitate. Just kind of, you know, point up, say, hey, I got a question, raise your hand. Anybody else got a question? I've got some for them if you don't. Anybody else? Uh, Chad, welcome in, Chad. I got you down in there. Can you hear us? Give us a wave. All right, we got you, Chad. Uh, if you guys got a, got a question at all, all you got to do is raise your hand to me. Oh, let's see. Who we got? We got Eric. Eric's got a question. Let me get you, Eric. Okay. Just unmute. Are you there? Yes. No, okay. Eric? Gotcha. Okay. Go ahead, bud. So, um, Darren, in the 2011 World Series, what was it like whenever you realized that you were going to get that win on your stat? Um, what were we thinking about when we thought we were going to win the game, you mean? Yeah, I mean, I mean specifically you because it's a World Series game. It's kind of like every child dreams of – especially those who pitch dream of winning a game in the World Series. So what was that moment like whenever you realized that it was locked down? When you got um, the win. Oh, and I got a win during the World Series? Yes, that's yes. what he's asking. When well, what was it like? Again, I thought we were going to win. Actually, I really didn't think about um, the wins and losses until there was, you know, it came to a point where we, we thought we could have a chance to win the series. Um, you know, you're just trying to get that fourth win any way you can. Like now I might think about it, you know, looking back on it, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I won a game in the World Series. But at that time, when we were playing, it was just the main focus is just winning the World Series. So – um, I, I would think that's probably most people's answers, especially when they're playing in big games like that. You know, you just try to focus on winning the series, not just, you know, because I got to win or, you know, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of selfish. You know, it's kind of a team thing, especially when it comes down to the end. You know, I can think about it now, but, um, you know, it, it's uh, at that time, though, it was all about trying to win the World Series. Is that good, Eric? Yes, it's good. Chad, you got a question. Hang on here just a sec, okay? Okay, go ahead and unmute yourself. All right, excellent. Hey, fellas, how you doing, man? I'm coming to you from a teepee in Big Fork, Montana, believe it or not, man. So, uh, no joke, it's a teepee out here. So, hey, um, hey, thanks for having me on, man. But, uh, hey, I wanted to, you know, I coach uh, ages between 12 and 18, sometimes up to 19. Um, I, I have a question for Darren Oliver. You know, I have a problem, not a problem, but I have an issue with um, kids these days with all the info they're getting. And maybe the kids on here can, can uh, talk about this as well. When they're 13, 14, 15, Darren, you had a long distinguished career in the major leagues, uh, not with max velocity, not with max, um, uh, you know, not with max velocity, 
Max, um, you know, uh, uh, being scouted extremely heavily, should I say, how did you last so long in the majors? And can you maybe some way I can talk to these kids about having, not at this moment in their time, having max velocity, everything right now, and what they can do to continue to improve and how you stayed in the major leagues for so long um, uh, with, uh, with not uh, the 97, 98, 99 miles per hour um, that um, everyone's looking for. I guess you weren't in uh, the first part of this uh, group chat. Because John Moore kind of told you that I'm smart. Do you know that? I'm like the best player in words with friends. Come on now. He's so, a cheater. Uh, no, no. <laughs> no, really, um, you know, I, th I think once you kind of get into the league and you start figuring out, you know, some of the uh, – mine was I was big on mechanics. So I knew what I had to do between, like, each pitch. I wouldn't go, like, two pitches and miss, like, way far, you know, ball one, ball two. I knew how to kind of correct myself. Mm -hmm. And I kind of paid attention to the game. I mean, I was a student of the game. Um, obviously, you can't play that long and not have the blazing fastball and stuff like that if you're not really paying attention to what's going on. I see a lot of guys just, you know, if you throw 95 to 100, there's not a whole lot of thinking going on. But you can't right. throw that long for that long. You can't sustain 95 for exactly. 10 years. I'm, I'm telling yes. you right now. Just like guys when they're running, you know, you can't run fast forever. Um, you can't hit for power forever. I mean, you're going to lose a little bit of something. You got to, it's a game of adjustments. You got to learn to adjust mm -hmm. and do what you have to do to stick around. So I would, I would always encourage kids to pay attention to what's going on. You know, listen to, you know, listen to your outfielders, listen to your, your coaches, listen to the, the third baseman, listen to everybody and try to get as much information as you can. And don't try to just play one position. I mean, I started at the beginning of my career. Um, I ended up coming out of the bullpen. Um, maybe a guy like Jeff, he might have played shortstop. But he knew how to play second base. He knew how to play third base. He knew how to play the outfield. Right. David was left-handed, so he, he could play the outfield, but he could hit. He, I mean, get the bunt down. The little things like that just to stick around a little bit longer. And, you know, fortunately, it worked out for him. Right on. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah both Jeff and, and, and David were big power guys. And then they had to adjust after they got here in the power. <laughs> 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 Jeff, you know, while we got you here, Jeff, tell us. Tell us about, I mean, this, this uh, Shigon movement, I know all about it. I, I, I've heard about it and, and watched it unfold. Jeff and I keep in touch a lot and text each other. Kind of tell people, I, I think there's a misconception out there that you don't like certain coaches. You, don't, you just got a message out there for some of these parents, and I've seen it. Look, I have a kid that played baseball. Um, he's 13 years old. He quit this year. He never wanted to play select ball, and so that was fine for me. I didn't want to spend the money on it because his passion wasn't there. Select ball, got to have that passion to play, get out there. And if your kid really has passion, absolutely, I think it's great if you're wanting to get something better. But there's not just one person out there that knows the right way. Is that kind of your message? Tell people what, your, what, what this whole Shigon thing was. Well, it's, it's a couple things. It's kind of uh, continuing to uh, – uh, change a little bit here and there but it's just a lot of stuff in my opinion that's wrong with the game right now a lot of a lot of stuff being taught to kids that I don't think is going to work for them um, as they progress as they get older move into college and teaching one specific way to hit um, we all know Hol Holsey played in the big leagues he hit different than I hit Darren pitched in the big leagues and he was a hitter he hit different than I hit so everybody's different and I think there's just so much emphasis on everybody has to do it a certain way. And we all know, having been there, that's not true. That's not true. 
and um, a lot of the stuff being taught to kids nowadays as far as, uh, you know, hit the ball in the air. Uh, it's not right because David and I would neither one of us would have played in the big leagues if we tried to hit the ball in the air. We were told not to hit the ball in the air. So I just think everybody's different. If you're a big, strong power guy and you can hit the ball apart, fine, hit the ball in the air. But if you're 5'9", 160 pounds, you better learn to hit line drives and do everything on a baseball field you can do to help your team win a baseball game. And for Shigon is, you know, I think there's too much influx of data and uh, a lot of uh, people in the game who don't really know the game. They're, they're trying to coach and manage and, and things like that based on data and not, uh, not, not strategies like the game when we came up. So there's just a lot of stuff wrong in the game. And I just kind of trying to, uh, trying to point it all out right now. <laughs> and I think you've gotten a few people's attention. That's just my opinion. I, I think a few, anybody got a question? I've got, got plenty. Oh, Matt, go ahead, bud. Uh, the question I have, and I work in Silicon Valley. I grew up in this area and I have a 12 year old son, 12 year old son that actually sees a lot of these hitting coaches that, um, you know what, they charge a lot of money. These travel teams cost between 500 to $900 a month. They're teaching, if any, don't be linear, don't be rotational. It's all about movements. It's all about exit velocity. I feel sad because I kind of grew up in the inner city area. And you know, when I talk to my son about baseball, his friends are saying, you gotta launch the ball in the air. You got to, uh, and I'm teaching my son to be like linear hitter, you know, center field, right center, working with his hitting instructor, no more than I could do, but he's getting a lot of this information from his 12 year old friends and 13 year old friends. And my concern is that as he's in the middle school and high school years, this is going to be a more of an emphasis and how my son wants to defend himself and talk more about it. But I mean, I'm going in a little bit of a tangent, but just want to get your thoughts for Dave and Jeff. David. Personally, I think there's, it's now it's about gimmicks. There's so many gimmicks. Yeah. Everybody wants to use a gimmick, gimmick, gimmick. Just teach yeah. them how to hit. Bottom okay. line. Okay. All right. You can be able, like as a hitter and as Jeff, as instructors, we can see flaws in hitters and we can try to correct it the right way. Sometimes you just sit because a guy hadn't hit it hitting well, you say, here, try this, hold a pipe or uh sit on this ball yeah. or put this between your legs or do this and this <laughs> and this. We want I want the guy hitting immediately. You know, there's so many instructors that take 10 lessons to even get them standing in the batter's box right. I want them to do it right away. You know, and if you could just think philosophy of just even gap to gap right now. Yeah. Because so many kids now, they think they can hit home runs, and nobody on my 12-year-olds and no one on my 16-year team has a home run yet for a full season. All right, hit 400. Get on base. Make things happen. Steal bases. Be productive that way. Drive runs in. Have quality at bats. And you're going to be Seymour's trying to hit home runs all the time because I haven't seen any yet this year from anybody on any team. So again, if we could be more gap to gap and, you know, stay through balls and instead of pulling off balls and thinking about launch angle, which doesn't even come till after you've got extension through the ball, but you got guys saying, I got to launch this ball up. So they're losing their barrel behind them and hitting pop-ups all over the place. It's way too much information going on when we need to simplify it and make it as simple as possible because it's definitely the hardest game in the world. Yeah, I, I teach, I mean, I, gap to gap is what he's learning. And I, I agree with you, David. Go ahead. Jeff, yeah, you got anything to add? 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, uh, I believe in the KISS method. Um, yes. Keep it simple, stupid, you know, and it's, uh, for me as a hitter, it was just every day was, um, if something wasn't going right, I would just experiment a little bit, maybe change a little something, move up in the box, move back in the box. Um, but it's just constantly evolving in the type of hitter you become when you get older. And there's not one way to do it. Um, your son has how old you said? 12. 12. See? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that's too young to have a hitting instructor. Okay. Okay. David, what do you think? He just started like yeah. last month, by the way. I mean, I see them in there just stealing money with six, seven, eight-year-olds. Yeah. They hold a bat upright and hold it with two hands and be able to be strong enough to swing it. So, yeah. yeah the reason I, have, I start with 12-year-olds and take them to high school and then come back down is because, to me, that's the age where I think they're going to learn the most, where I can start teaching them the most, where they can handle instruction that's in-depth and as detailed as I need it to be for them to be successful down the road. Yeah, 12, 12 years old is right about the time puberty's hitting. There, there's changes going on too. So, um, and I think Darren could talk to that. I mean, I, I've always – I coached for years, coached my kids, did all of that. And one of my – coached so, some select ball years back just by myself for fun. But one of my roles – I didn't have kids back then. Is if, you know, until, until you were done with puberty, I, I wouldn't let them throw anything but fastballs. I wasn't going to let them try to – you know, break one off or twist one. I wasn't a pit. I mean, I was a horrible pitcher, but I was, so I teaching that was not anything I was going to do anyway, but I didn't want to see them trying it or doing that. They need to develop their arm to do that. Darren, would you say that too? I mean, when did you start throwing anything but fastballs at what age? Gosh, um, it must've been like closer to high school. I would think, and you know, I, you know, actually back then we played everywhere. I mean, I didn't just only pitch. I played first base and outfield. <laughs> football, basketball. I didn't play baseball year round like some of these kids do now. Sometimes it's just, it's a little much. I mean, for kids to go out there and play baseball nine, 10 months out of the year and they don't play anything else. Yeah. Um, it's, I see a lot of guys, I see a lot of guys when they get drafted, um, I know they play a lot of ball and then, you know, immediately they get hurt, you know, Tommy John. And then they're wondering why there's so many Tommy Johns because they're probably logging, you know, probably a hundred innings a year since they're age 10. I mean, that's just too much. Yeah. Well, let me – okay, guys, I've got a question for both of y'all, and we'll start off with Darren, and then we'll go to David. Um, I've asked this to, to Jeff. Jeff, I want you to touch on it too and just remind people. In high school, what, did you play any other sports in high school, Darren? Yeah, I played basketball. Basketball, but basketball not – baseball. No football. I played football in the ninth grade, and then I remember I was playing quarterback, and I went back for a pass. Dude popped my elbow right here with his helmet. And I was like, man, you know, I was out for a couple of weeks and I was like, ah, you know, I was kind of scared of my dad. You, you know, you don't quit. If you play something, you don't quit. Yeah. I was like, dad, I, go, I don't know, man. I don't know if I really want to play this football. He's like, son, if you don't want to play, you don't have to play. And I was like, I'm done. I'm going <laughs> to take the basketball and baseball for, for the rest. <laughs> that, that was the first sport he said, okay, if you want to quit, you're okay. <laughs> yeah, I think he knew something. So I, I, uh, it, was, it was all right. David, what about you? Um, I played, as I grew up, it fell into four seasons. You played football, basketball, baseball, track. It, it was perfect. You could do them all, and it, they just fell right in line. Then when I got to middle school, I played football, basketball, and was running track. So in three years of middle school, I saw, as a wide receiver, I saw three passes in three years. So I was like, mm, this isn't fun anymore. So I didn't want to go to high school and just be a receiver that had to 
come in and double down on the defensive end blocking the whole time. Yeah. Of course, when the second I got out of high school, they changed it over to passing. So yeah, in high school, yeah. But then they wanted me to run track and they wanted me to do like 10 events. And I was like, no, I want to do this. And so I had to quit that. And so all I did was focus on basketball in high school. And then my senior year, I was like, well, um, let me go try this baseball thing one more time because, you know, I wasn't getting any taller. And as a guard, everybody in basketball was getting bigger. So really, <laughs> until my senior year, did I really start focusing on baseball again? Yeah, you, so you're, you're from San Angelo Central. And what funny story there, like you said, you, you went out and blocked a lot. Um, my high school football coach was Dan Gandy, who became uh -huh. San Angelo Central's high school football coach. You and I graduated the same year, I think. Did you graduate in 86? I did, 86. Okay. Yeah, so he left a couple years later and went to San Angelo, and that's when they started developing quarterbacks. They threw a lot. He, he threw a lot with us, but we also had Barry Foster in the backfield. So as a wide receiver, I was a, a lot of blocking downfield is what I did. Jeff, tell them about you in high school. You were a three-sport. In fact, you went to college on basketball. Yeah, I used to be a lot taller um, in high school. <laughs> six six. Um, no, but I actually uh, – I, I played uh, basketball, baseball, and football. Um, I, and did go – I was going to junior college to play basketball um, when I graduated high school and saw pretty quickly that uh, – that wasn't my future. Dino, me and D used to play basketball all the time. We did. He's got, he's got some game. He does have some game. And actually, that's how I tore my ACL one off season. Oh, don't tell. Yeah, now you I thought it was that. the treadmill. No, I was jogging. Remember, I lied about it. No, it was basketball. <laughs> I, think you, I think you might have been there, too, <laughs> that day. So, so it wasn't a dog running up the stairs with the dog? No, no, no. I was, uh, it was uh, – I think – I mean, we used to play me, Kenny Rogers – Rick Helling, Darren would go over to this little gym, get fit right by the stadium, and that was our off-season uh, cardio, was playing basketball. And this one time I went, we were playing these guys, um, and we were beating them pretty bad, and so they took me out on a layup, and I came down and, and popped my, uh, tore my ACL and was out for the year after my rookie year. So. Oh, Jeff, Frito. That's what you see, and I, because I remember I went up and saw the the Rangers play up in Boston that year. You were, you were, uh, and I told you that you were underneath with your leg brace all the way down when that's when you were playing with Boston that year. Was that the year you tore it up doing that, or what? How'd you do it that year? That was actually on the baseball field doing uh, pickoffs and uh, first and third uh, pickoffs and rundowns. Just doing drills. Okay. Anybody have a question? Let's go to Brendan. Uh, Seth, I know you've got one. Chad, you've got one. We'll come back to you. But let's go to uh, Brendan right now. Hey, how's it going, guys? There you go. What's up, Jeff? Darren? Okay, how you doing, man? Good. Doing well. Okay, I got a question for you. So, Jeff, you know Will, 15, wants to uh, go to college down in the States. Yeah. What are some of the biggest hurdles that you guys can think of that he's going to have to overcome in order to go through the grind of college, the scouting process, things like that? I mean, I don't think, I mean, I don't think it would be any different than any other kid. You live in Canada, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, you guys get recruited up there to come to the States? Uh, as far as I know, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't think it would be any more – 
different hurdles than kids around here. Um, I think that, uh, you know, just, uh, do some of your own work. Don't rely on these, uh, showcases to sell your kid, you know, mm -hmm. uh, be active, proactive and, you know, send letters and send videos to college baseball coaches, um, directly to them that you can get their information, their emails and say, here's my son. This is what year he is. He's interested in your program and just, be proactive because I think too many people rely on all these showcases and stuff and pay this outrageous amounts of money to go to these things in hopes that their kids are going to get recruited. And a lot of times it doesn't work out that way and you waste a lot of money. Great. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. You're welcome. How, now, how old's your son, Brendan? Uh, he's 15. What's he play? Uh, third base, first base. He pitches and he can play the outfield. Really, I've got to ask this, being up in Canada, how long is the season? You guys got to, it's a lot colder up there. I mean, you, you've got a smaller window, I would say, right? Well, we actually just had our first practice this morning since COVID. I would, yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot of that's just getting back. But on a normal, without COVID, what is the season like up there? Usually from May to September. May to September, okay. Yeah. So they it's not playing in the cold. What's that? <laughs> you guys are just a lot tougher than us. us. People down here in the, in the lower 50, man, it's a lot colder. You guys are used to that cold. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, this this May was great. It would have been an amazing time to get out, but with all the COVID stuff going on, it was impossible. Right. So, I always think if your kid's good, some, they'll they'll see him. He's gonna get noticed if he's yeah, good. If he's good enough, somebody's gonna recognize him. Don't yeah, worry about that. Yeah, there's some there's scouts everywhere. So if somebody if he's good, he's like you know I don't know. 11th or 12th grade, somebody else see him. Because I'm sure you guys play, like, tournaments down here in the States, correct? Uh, yeah, last year we had two down there. Um, he, want, he wants to go to – he was looking – we were thinking about t um, colleges. Like, they have camp days and things like that down there. And right. bring them down, like, and have a, a vacation, right? Come down to a right. camp at a school that's in where he wants to go. Like, he's looking Midwest, right? Um, northern U.S. stuff. So, I mean – a weekend down in, down in the States, down there going to a camp day would be great for him, right? Because it's yeah. somewhere he wants to go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Go, go find him. Yeah. You both hit the nail on the head. As far as showcase tournaments and things like that in high school, if you're playing and there are college coaches there and your kid has a great game, they're going to notice him. They might not be there to see him. They might be there to see someone else. But if they see that, they're like, oh, who's this kid? However, Jeff said it even better. We had a showcase last weekend in Franklin, Texas, and after the game, a coach came up and said, I'm looking for a certain player. And he goes, he didn't have the best game today, but he was interested in coming to my college. He wrote me a letter. That was what struck me the most. He wrote me a letter. People don't do that anymore. Right. He, yeah, so he said, I want, I want to go to, say, pick five – Division one colleges, write them a letter and say you're interested and then go maybe division two and then pick some smaller ones as well because it doesn't always work out the way you think it's going to and write them letters so they know that you're interested. And like you said, if you're going to go to a college day or something like that, pick a school that your kid has interest in because otherwise I've never heard of really of a good story of those unless you're a school that you really are interested in going to so that they can put you on the radar. Right. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. 
Hey, and I, I would say this too, Brennan, if you look, you've got, you've got Jeff Fry and, and, and David Hulse here who both came from little colleges. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's ways that if he even gets into a smaller college that if, if you stand out somewhere, like, like Darren said, you're going to get noticed somewhere, you know. So junior college or? Yes. Juco. Well, all, all three of us didn't go to a big – I didn't even go to college. So. <laughs> and these yeah, guys didn't go to big colleges, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter, man. They'll find you. It was, all right. it was two weeks until the fall season started from my senior year to college. And I didn't have a school to go to at all. And my next door neighbor was a football coach at Angelo State, which is in San Angelo where I'm from. And he says, hey, I know a baseball coach in Corsicana. Let me call him. We're friends. So he called him, and the guy said, well, he can come walk on. And that's how my career started right there. I had to go walk on to a college I've never heard of, never been to, two weeks before the school started. And then while I was sitting on the bench, you just waited and waited and someone made a boo-boo and you got your chance and I made the most of it. And from that point on, the only reason I made it to the big leagues is because people weren't coming to watch me. They were going to watch people like University of Texas who we played or TCU or A&M or we playing these big colleges and I would have great games there. And that's how I got the radar. They were like going there to see Clemens, but all of a sudden David Hulse is three for four against the University of Texas. It gets you on the radar. So there's a way. There's always a way, and they'll find you if you're good enough. All right. Awesome. All right. I think uh, – who had another one? Seth, did you have another one? Let me get you out of here. Just yeah. unmute yourself there, bud. So um, a ballpark question for, for all three of you guys. You all played multiple teams, multiple places. Um Two I'm most interested in, one that's real common for, for all of the Ranger fans and now that, that we've got the new park, is did the heat really affect you as a player <laughs> here in, in Arlington? And then on the opposite side of that, I think Darren, you and Jeff both played in Colorado a year. Does the altitude actually affect things up there the way that maybe some people – you want to go, Jeff, or you want me to go? Uh, you go first. Uh, first of all, that Colorado altitude, that is no joke. So whatever you do, what it was when we worked out, you only did like 50% of what you would do at sea level because your body doesn't bounce back. You're, you don't get enough oxygen. And I, I used to always, like in the beginning of the season, I would look at the schedule. Every starting pitcher would look at the schedule and figure out, what games am I going to be playing on the road? Because if you had to play games on, at home, if you had like an 11-day homestand, you're like, man, I got two games at home. That's the first thing you did. You're like, oh, boy, I got to pitch because you're – I'm telling you, you throw a curveball and, and one might bite. You're like, oh, that was a good one. And you'll throw the exact same curveball, and that thing would just spin up there, and guys like Jeff would pop it up in the air, and it's gone. <laughs> so my thing, my thing was – I didn't really care about the numbers. I was like, if I can outlast the opposing starter, I figure I got to win. That was my, that was my, that's what I thought about. I wouldn't, I didn't care about trying to go seven, giving up three runs because it usually wasn't going to happen. And if it did, I was gassed anyway. I can only go like five and a third most of the time, six at the most. He was my agent at the time, so I'm sure he was watching most of the games. It's, uh, it's tough. It's tough. I'd rather pitch in the heat than pitching in Colorado. But Texas, I mean, the heat in Texas is no joke. You guys know, I mean, 
they uh, they allowed us later in the season during the summertime to you know wear shorts during batting practice because it was so hot. And I would I remember um, going in after batting practice. Usually, a batting practice is about forty five minutes, and they would only make you stay out there for two thirds of it, like thirty minutes. You could go in early, but a lot of times during the heat of the summer, I would go immediately in put on some shorts and get in the cold whirlpool and try and refresh my body because I mean, it just zaps all your energy. And it's, uh, you know, when you do that over like a 10, 10 game homestand, man, you are exhausted by that, by the end of the homestand, just from the heat. Yes. You know, go ahead. Oh, you want me to jump in? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hey, when we played at the original ballpark in Arlington, they had a little digital thing out at right field that said the time and the temperature. Oh, I remember it was that. Like 10 o'clock at night, and that thing was still reading 100 degrees. And to me, I thought that was like, well, the other team will see that, and that'll be to our advantage. But I, it probably wasn't because we weren't, we never won games anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> how I saw it was, I guess I was too naive to even notice heat. I was so blown away to be in the big leagues and playing every day that. I really didn't notice the heat. I said, if it's too hot for them, it's just right for me. And then um, when we got over to that new park, it probably ruined us because we take BP and then we go jump in the pool inside. And it was probably the worst thing we could do to go hot, cold, and then try to get hot again. But they had some better ways of dealing with it later on. But uh, it's, I don't know. I just like it. I hate it. Here's what I hate it. Going up north to start the season when there's so many teams down south or domes you could play in, I didn't like playing in cold weather early in the season. <clears throat> oh, yeah. You know, I got credentials, and I never realized how hot it was as a fan going to those ball games until I got to go sit in the press box. And I was like, oh, man, this is a lot better than <laughs> – this is a lot better. And I tell you what, what people don't know either, for guys that are sitting – Seth, I know that you're from Arlington or you're around. You've gone to the ballpark in Arlington, I'm assuming, gone to games out there. I've been a fan in those stands, but I've gone down onto the field before the game while these guys are hitting bat in practice. I go, the air doesn't move down there. I, or it didn't when I – when it was hot, and I was just – it wasn't long I was there. I was ready to go back up to where the air conditioner was. So, um, hey, have you guys uh, – David, or I know Darren has, because Darren, you're officing over there. But uh, Jeff, have you had a chance to go over and see the new stadium? Uh, I haven't been in there yet. I've just driven by it. Uh, it's getting a lot of bad reviews, though. Something On the exterior, yeah. I can't lie. The first time I drove by, I go, is that a barn? <laughs> so <laughs> I guess I'm part of that crowd now. So That's all right. Yeah. You're just off the, the, the legacy program right there. No free tickets. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to hook you guys up. <laughs> hey the inside is nice i'm gonna t- i don't care what the outside looks like that inside is nice uh, i was there the other day yeah it was it's amazing and it plays big that's what i like plays big you gotta hit it yeah you don't play on the outside play on the inside if it's beautiful in there then that's yeah. what you want as a player nice it feels good in there yeah and the press box is open now so they're we're not even behind glass anymore and i tell you what it does play big in the pitchers. They were interviewing the pitchers, Zoom calls like this afterwards, and they got a little smile on their face. And, Darren, I'm sure you would have liked that too. That it, it, Don't it, move the fences, Dan. Give it time. It, it, it's <laughs> complain. They'll get their way. Just right now it's too soon, but give it like two years. They'll move them in like 20 feet like they always do. Uh-huh, like Detroit. You know, they want they offense. Have, they don't have the juice balls yet for BP. Wait till the game. <laughs> right. Just give it time. 
All right, I want one of those sweets behind home plate. John, why don't you get us one of those sweets behind home plate so we can all watch a game right there? That's what I really want. Me? <laughs> oh, those things. Are, if somebody's got that, somebody's got access to that, let me know. I will go 100%. You're the assistant out. to the GM. You need to go over to Boss over there and tell him to get you. <laughs> I, yeah, I wish. Shoot. Okay, Darren, I'm going to ask a question real quick, guys. We'll come back. I know Chad's got a question here in a second. Um, hey, Darren, did you play – did you just pitch in high school or did you play any other positions? No, I played outfield. Played outfield too? Yes. yes. Now, do you, do you bat sure. left-handed? I bat right-handed. I golf right-handed, bat right-handed. Okay. I'm all messed up. <clears throat> now, I, another question I wanted to ask you. Now, we know I, – I, I had a question for David about uh, Shriner in Kerrville where he ended up at um, going there. Darren – you were drafted in the third round. I'm assuming you were being recruited. Was there anybody you were probably going to sign with? Did you like you had a? I mean, I know you had scholarship offers. Where did you think you were going if you weren't drafted high enough? Oh, I was going to uh, UNLV. UNLV. You were already committed, so you knew where oh, you yeah, were going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot. It didn't, did take, a lot of, it didn't take long for me to to commit there. Trust me. As soon as <laughs> as soon as we landed, hey, what do I sign? <laughs> and then it was all she wrote. Now, did, hey, did 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 you know where was UNLV? Was anybody? Was, was anybody looking at you from outfield, or was everybody looking at you as a pitcher? So they, were, they said they were going to let me hit. That's what they said. But, you know, they always say that. It probably would have changed quickly. Did the Rangers, or did they say, no, you're a pitcher? Yeah, yeah. No. In pro ball, you're just one way or the other. You're not going to be able to do both. I think it would be too hard. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm, guys, I'm going to sprinkle in questions here as we go. Chad, you had another question, I think. Let me, uh, let me get to you here in just a sec. Go ahead, Chad. All right. Hey, guys. Hey, uh, Chad Masippo here. Hey, this message is for Jeff, man. I go by the handle Toochcast on Twitter, man. I had to take some time off from Twitter <laughs> uh, for the simple fact that uh, – but I'm intrigued with the Shegon movement, my man. Um, you know, I'm, I'm tired myself of the, all the analytics, and, uh, and I think there's a blend involved, but I think it's got out of control, man. Um, how do you how do you filter out through the noise, and where do you see Shegon evolving? I know I came late to the call a little bit, sorry, but um, and uh, what kind of feedback are you getting from um, prominent players um, other than what we have in front of us today? Well, like Darren said earlier, that a lot of people are uh, paying attention to it, and I think that's just I think everybody, unless you're involved in the you know the showcase circuit or if you're one of these instructors teaching uh, what I consider nonsense <laughs> kids, everybody I think believes that there is a, some problems in the game and especially mm -hmm. at the amateur level and that parents are getting overcharged and um, you know, kids like Darren said, kids are being abused um, on the field. They're not, they're not um, being allowed to develop. They're being used too much. Uh, and having injuries, and I just think there's just so many things that um, that need correcting. And if I can help in any way to, you know, uh, expose some of these things and maybe get get some change going on, then uh, you know that's that's really what I'm trying to do. I mean, it's right I don't really, it's not like a you know my new business is she gone. I'm just trying to help kids learn the right fundamentals so they have a chance yeah. to play this game at the level that we did because we all know how how rewarding it is if you make it that far yeah yeah i see a lot of that in the youth level man what um you know what you're talking about and injuries tommy john surgeries at age 14 
Um, it's really, uh, you know, I mean, getting back to not just basics, but getting back to common sense, man, seems to me of uh, growing the game. Um, you know, and I think, you know, I don't know if you guys can speak to this real quick. If I could just add in, man, I'm kind of worried about the game. I love the game. I, I grew up playing it, man. Um, you know, I go overseas to watch it. I go to the Dominican a lot, man. Go to Dominican summer league games, winter league games, uh, to see baseball in the raw. What do you guys see about the uh, direction of the game is going, man? And, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, with today's society of it being more of a uh, now, now, now society, man. Is baseball, um, you know, I'm kind of worried about the future of the game and uh, the excitement level um, uh, with the youth. Um, maybe you guys can expand on that a little bit. Well, that's a tough question right there. Yeah. I, I still think it'll be, it'll be fine. Um, I mean, I know they're always trying to do different things. I know this year they're going to start with, since they only have 60 games with a guy on second base, um, it's yeah. an extra inning game. They might try to experiment you know, this year with some stuff. So I guess we'll kind of see how, you know, these next couple of months go. But, you know, it'll, it'll all come back to how it used to be. But every sport kind of evolves, just like football okay. and basketball with the offense. Um, you know, I think it's just what people – it's kind of basically what people want to see. You know, the old school guys like us, we wanted to be like it was 20 years ago. <laughs> but those days, they're gone, man. You, mm -hmm. you can forget about that. It's just, it's just a little different, different times. Yeah. Right on. Appreciate it. I think baseball could do a better job of marketing itself. Uh, we've got some really flashy players that are good that, that I'd like to see. And, and uh, you know, it's not just about I, I, what I would like to see. And Jeff, that you're, you're kind of on board too. I, I, maybe it's not attractive to other people. I love a pitcher's duel. I think that's fantastic, but I like small ball. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of home runs. Don't get me wrong, but I, I love it. Moving a runner over. I love that kind of stuff. And uh, it just, uh, it, you don't see that as much. Um, I think that 10th inning is going to, there's going to be a lot more guys learning how to bunt, especially if you're the home team and you only need one run to win it. Uh, maybe Joey Gallo, they were talking to him yesterday and where I was on that zoom call and he was like, Hey, more than hit. I know I'm a power guy, but he goes, I want to win. And if they need me to lay down a bunt and everybody's going to shift on me with a guy at second, he goes, I'll lay it down. Now I hope no one listens to this and knows what he's going to do. But either way, um, that, that might be fun in the 10th inning to see that. Eric. I'm not looking forward to it. Are you Holsey? No, see, I was thinking when we came up, it was a totally different type of ball game, and then it has evolved. Uh, there were times when I had to bunt once a game for a hit, and give up that. They said you will work on bunting for a hit once a game, and then as the leadoff hitter, they would say you will take the first pitch, you will take, 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 mm -hmm. and then you will show bunt to bring the third baseman in, and then you'll shoot a ball in the left field and get on because. The people behind me are Gonzalez, Canseco, Palmero, Rodriguez. My job was to get on back then, so my whole game was small ball. Now, I got hurt a lot, and the game started evolving. I wish I had been able to stay healthy when the time started changing where you could just go up there and hit because I worked a lot on hitting for power, and it just became a different game. I never got to experience that. However, when it comes time to win a ball game, they'll be laying down bunts. Now, I'm telling kids right now at 12 through high school, right now we're playing showcases. I'm going, you will not bunt. You will show people you can hit. But if we need to win this game late, you will bunt. It will be a sacrifice bunt right into the grass, whatever you have to do to move that runner over. So I want the players to hit because the college coaches aren't there right now to see them bunt. 
sack bunt early in the game. All right, when it's zero to zero in the second inning. Um, that's old school to me, but now I've evolved a little with that too. Unless we need a win late, it's about you showcasing your talents. Go ahead and swing the bat. Eric, you got a question? Yeah. Um, so in your, in your, throughout your whole entire careers, who was the player or teammate coach that uplifted the team and made everyone play better on a daily basis? Did y'all hear that? I did. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I mean, that's baseball is such a different different type of sport. It's not like football, rah, rah, rah. I know most of the time I didn't really need a whole lot of um, somebody to tell me, you know, what, what you have to do that day. Because um, you play so many games, 162 games, man. So you, you can't be up for every game. It's just it's physically, it's physically and mentally impossible. So, you know, maybe some guys needed that, but. I think once you're in the big leagues and you're trying to win a ball game, I don't think you need somebody to tell you how important the game is that day. But everybody's different. I, I didn't really need that, but maybe Jeff and David did. Now, you, the last thing you needed was someone else telling you what to do, how to prepare. If you weren't ready for the game, you didn't need someone telling you. They were going to – the office was going to let you know when they were getting rid of you and releasing you. So, no one, everyone had a job to do, and they knew it. Yeah, we raw rock because we're teammates, good hit, good swing, good this, good, good play, nice pitching, whatever it is. But if you couldn't get up the game, up for a game by yourself, and you had to have someone helping you out, then there was a problem. But also, there were, there were guys that would keep you in check during the game, too. Like, come on now, let's get it together. But, you know, to me, what uplifted me most was a manager who was a player's manager – that had played in the big leagues, that knew everything about the game, what went on day in and day out, that would just lift you up and let you play. And he'd come by and say, good game, kid, or come on, kid, you need to pick it up a little, work on this. But it was a player's manager, not the kind that would just ride you the whole time and um, would, you know, show favoritism towards the superstars or other players. Just players like, for example, Phil Garner, when I played in Milwaukee, was the greatest manager I ever played for. He knew the game. He knew he played hard. And he said, if you play it hard like I did, then we won't have a problem. And that's how it was. Yeah. I got some. Go for it. I mean, we had, uh, there were certain coaches that we had, I think. Um, well, first off, the manager's position when we all came up was a position of authority. Okay. These guys had been in the game longer than most of us were alive. So we didn't dare question anything they did, right? We hardly even talked to those guys. I was afraid to talk to the manager. But we had certain coaches that I feel like, at least in my, my situation, I wanted to perform well because those coaches would be proud of me, okay? Rudy Hadamio got me fired up all the time, okay? Rudy, I knew, was in my corner. Perry Hill, another guy, you knew that if you made a good play and you came back to the dugout, you knew what you were getting from Perry Hill, right? That's what I'm talking about, right? And it'd make you excited. You'd feel proud. And you knew that this guy really was happy for you uh, because you worked your butt off all through your minor league career and just made a great play in the big league. So there were certain guys like that that, you know, I know Mickey Hatcher. Did it, was Mickey Hatcher not get you fired up, D, in Anaheim? Oh, yeah, he's funny, man. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. You know who um, – I mean, I know I'm kind of going off the subject, but – that's why he's laughing right now. That guy right there, David Holtz, we, we played a lot of golf tournaments. I'm telling you guys, a lot of golf tournaments. And I always have to get on David. Let's go, man. You're better than that. Let's go. I need you right here. 
I need him in a golf tournament. And usually it kind of works out during the day. Yeah, I do need him for stuff like that. Man, he gets down on himself. I'm like, let's go, man. You're just giving it away. Because uh, there's too many times where I'm going to have to, you know, you got to pick your, your boy up every now and then. Golf or whatever. Sometimes I got to get right on his back and piggyback for like nine holes. But that's the way it works. <laughs> Were you three on the – how many years did you three play on the same team? A lot. I played, I played with Jeff more than I played with David. Yeah. Yeah, uh, David, I, yeah, I think so. Me and Jeff were like two seasons, 92 and three, four. Yeah. Darren was 94. Then I went to Milwaukee. Hey, let, let's just be honest, John. I played with everybody for a long yeah. time. You know what <laughs> yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Asking, asking you who you're – Two of the thousand of players I probably played with for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me get in here real quick. I got a question for both of y'all. So when did uh, – this is for both uh, – now, Jeff's talked about this. This is pretty funny. In fact, when Jeff got drafted, he didn't even he, – he, he found out later, and when he, he didn't even realize he got a bonus. That's a funny story. I'll tell that in just a second. But for David and for Darren – Darren, you were taken in the third round. David, you were 13th, right? You were in the 13th round. So where were you guys at? We'll start with Darren. Where were you at when you found out you got drafted? I think I was still at I was still at school, because I was in California. We didn't really graduate high school till like the middle of June, like middle end of June. So I don't I don't know when the draft was, but I knew I was still at school. And I think somebody called the school and told me, and I was like, all right, you know, it wasn't a big deal back then. You know, it wasn't on TV. Yeah, it's not like it is now. Yeah, so I I had really I really didn't know what the draft was all about. Had no idea. But you were getting scouted pretty heavily, I would imagine. If you went in the third round, did you see people at your games? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, but I didn't really know what was going on. Probably a good thing, I guess. David, what about you? You were 13th rounder, little school, Kerrville, Texas. So when did you realize, hey, man, I, I might have a chance to get drafted here, or did you have a scout talking to you? Yeah, here's, the, here's how old school I am. Um, when my senior year in high school – all through my college career, uh, in the summer, Major League Baseball had Major League Baseball tryout camps. And individual teams like the Pirates, the Royals, the Yankees, they would all go around the country having tryouts to try and find kids. So I always drove all over uh, the state of Texas to try and find one. So I was at the Kansas City Royals tryout camp in Kerrville, Texas at Shriner College. And um, Ran a 60, and uh, the guy next to me, I was like, well, that's kind of weird. He's wearing track spikes. So I ran it, and we photo finished at the end, and all of a sudden, I'm walking around, and this guy comes up and goes, hey, I'll give you a full ride right now to go to Shriner College. And the first thing I said was, I haven't even hit yet. And he goes, I don't care. So that's how my career started at Shriner College, which back then was NAI. It's now Division Three but they had full scholarships then. So I played there and every year the Kansas City Royals, we're going to draft you this year. We're going to draft you this year. And they never did. My senior year, they still hadn't drafted me. So I was actually at a Texas Rangers tryout camp in Arlington, hitting in the cages back there, those old cages, and it was pouring down rain. And I had a great round in there and then another great round. And someone coming up and said, tomorrow we're going to draft you. So it must have been the day before or whatever round 13th is whatever day that is. And yeah, sure enough, the next day they called me and said, get ready, we'll call you and make it official. You're gonna be 13th round playing for the Texas Rangers. And 
then the next day some guy drove to my house from wherever he was from and we signed that contract and I got that huge $700 signing bonus. <laughs> Jeff, what was yours? A thousand or 2000. Oh, well he was big time. 30th round. Yeah. yeah I'm gonna lie. It was probably 1200, but I, I, I had like, a, way, I had a way better agent than David. <laughs> <laughs> Darren, you got the bigger one third rounder. They had to talk you out of UNLV. I'm assuming. That's right, man. They give me the big, big money. Big money. Too. Was it about 50 grand? Yeah, you got like five. Yeah, I wish. I, I wish. No. An 88? Heck no. <laughs> I'm not giving out 100 grand back then. First rounders were getting like 100 or 200. No, they weren't. I think they got like 80. Okay, so I, I want to go to all of y'all. Uh, Jeff's talked about this before. Then we'll go back to some questions from you guys. Where was your first pro game? Where was rookie ball for you guys? Let's start with you, Darren. Do you remember? Yeah, we were in um, – so I, I'm thinking, I said, I got drafted. I'm like, oh, man, they're going to send me to Florida. I'd never been to Florida before, so I'm just thinking Miami. That's why – in my mind, I was like, Florida, Miami. I'm just – you know, I'm gonna, there's going to be beaches, bikinis everywhere. And I go to Port Charlotte, Florida. I mean, it's – I don't think you guys have ever been to Port Charlotte, Florida, but it is absolutely – Back then, it was the worst. I was as soon as I got off the plane, I was like, "Why am I so sticky? Like, what's going on?" <laughs> and it was hot. We played at twelve o'clock in the day. Um, nobody at the game. Just like these backfields out there, burning up. Nine inning game. I was like, "This is not it." <laughs> I was like, mm -mm, "This can't. This can't be uh, pro ball right here." And just sucked it up for the two months I was out there. And I, I, to be honest with you, I don't think nobody liked rookie ball. Not in Florida. These guys probably went to the uh, short season A where they play like a night up in Butte, Butte, Montana. But I had to go like – they sent like the high schoolers because we're not college ready like these guys were. Yeah. You go to rookie ball and learn how to play baseball again. Like the drills, the running, it's, it was awful. It's absolutely awful. And it is – it's like this all day. It's like hot. It's awful. It's every day. You get Sundays off, 10 o'clock games on Saturday. You get on a van with about 10 guys. Um, it's just, it's, it, was, it was difficult that first couple of months. I was like, this is not fun. But it got better, obviously. But first couple of months was not fun. David, what was yours, Butte? Yeah, it was coming from Shriner. Anywhere was better. So I went to, <laughs> hopped on a plane and flew to Butte, Montana. Stayed at, what was it, Montana Tech? Some college. We stayed in their dorms and, walked down a hill to play in the stadium. And the thing to me was those bus rides were awful. And the hotels we stayed in were terrible. Uh, just a quick story. We played one night in Butte and we got hammered, just killed. So we get on the bus and we have to drive to Medicine Hat for a night game. And it was, I don't know, 12 hour trip. I don't know, we're in a bus back then. So we make that trip. We don't even go to the hotel. We drive straight to the field. And at the time, Bump Wills was the manager. Oh, my God. We get out. We start running laps. <laughs> we ran during our batting practice time, their batting practice time, our infield outfield time, their infield outfield time. And then the umpire said, hey, we got to play this game. And then he said, all right, let's stop running and go play. And we just got destroyed again. But I'm like, this is the minor leagues. It wasn't even this bad. 
in high, uh, college or high school for that matter. So that's how I started my career. <laughs> Jeff, you were up in Butte, right? I remember you saying something about that. Yeah, we called it Butt, not Butte. <laughs> 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 and we called Port Charlotte Port Toilet. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Butte, Montana. And I, uh, I wanted to quit baseball. I had a stretch where I I had a stretch where I went 0 for 37 during short season and um, lived in a um, the Montana Tech dorm with a guy named uh, Mike Spears, who uh, was there for a second year in Butte. And um, yeah, he had a booger collection on the on his wall in our room. It was really awesome. Hopefully, wow. David, hopefully David didn't stay in that room two years later. <laughs> Well, you and Jeff, you and you and Darren were taking the same year. Now he was twenty-seven rounds ahead of you, so I can't seem to remember the press conference where y'all were sitting there with your new Ranger jerseys and hats, <laughs> introducing no. y'all. <laughs> no. No. All right, no. You, anybody here got a question? Before I, I've got plenty to ask, but Matt, you got something? All right, Matt. So, um, as a father of two sons, and baseball such a grind, um, as well as other sports. And how do you raise a mentally healthy and strong, you know, player, just any advice that you have. And I, my, my thought process is yeah, play different sports and obviously faith is also important, but just want to get your thoughts for Jeff, David, and Darren. I'll go. Um, honestly, just be dad, man. Just love your kids and, um, you know, don't force them to play things they don't want to play because they're not going to be good at it. And, once you take the fun element out of it, they're not going to want to do it. So, you know, I get this question a lot. It's like, you know, uh, what should we do? It's like your son's 12, right? Go in the backyard and play catch with him. Go, yeah. you know, buy him a net, buy him a tee. Give him, you know, make it fun where you and him are together and he'll get better. If you practice, you're going to get better, right? Um, and just make it fun. I mean, and just the, the thing is, if you really think about it, there's 750 Major League Baseball players in the world. Okay, so 7 billion people on this earth, right? What are the odds that your kid is going to make it? They're not good. The odds aren't good for any kid. So let them have fun. Um, you know, just, just be a loving parent, and I think in the end, in, in the end you'll be thankful. Yeah. yeah, that's what I that's what I would say. I mean, I have boys too, but I'm telling you, I was around. I mean, shoot, I played for a long time in great stadiums and stuff like that. And the most memory my kids have about me playing is going to the field with me, saying, "Dad, it's too hot. Can I go back <laughs> in the clubhouse and get some Gatorade?" They don't even want to play. They they did not want to play baseball. And I'm I'm glad. I, I mean, a little bit. I kind of wish they would have, because I definitely would have made it fun, because I know how hard it is. But they, um, if, if I had to do all over again, I mean, between the ages of like 12 and let's say 18 before they go off to college, I mean, they're going to remember having fun going on those road trips, with, you know, with you for an hour, um, stopping at some random place to get something to eat with their dad or their mom. Because um, really, in the end, that's all that really matters. And, you know, if, they, if, if they're blessed and they're good enough to go a little bit further, that's when it's going to get tough. But like right now, this is like the fun and the easy part. I wish I could go back and play little league baseball again. Cause I remember how much fun it was. And when you start playing pro ball, man, it's a little different. It's fun, but it's a different kind of fun. It's business and it's a grind and 
it's uh, it's not like it was when you're playing little league and select ball and all that stuff. Yeah, I um, my son checked out at about nine or ten <laughs> with baseball, so that's the first thing I said: go find something you're good at, and that's what you're gonna play. And he went to soccer and went and played college soccer at Wheaton College, and my daughter played soccer too, and. It wasn't about the games because I went to the games to watch, but I spent every second with them away from the field, showing them the approach and the mentality and the physical, what you got to do to be ready to be a good top soccer player. So we'd go to the track, we'd kick the ball. We did everything together in the off season. Even my daughter up until this year, it's her senior year. And I finally get to retire from off season soccer. But we still take her to the gym, take her to the track, make sure she knows what it takes, work her hard, show her hard work ethic, and then let them play in the game. I'm hard on my 12-year-old teams because they're just a bunch of hoodlums and they're having, you know, they can't stay in the game all that long. Hour and a half is a long time for 12-year-olds sometimes. I'm harder on them. The 16-year-olds, they're in high school. Man, I can go in the dugout, make the lineup, and sit back and watch them play. I don't have to yell at them. Sometimes I got to say, let's go pick it up a little. Or, but it's more great job, and it's more about correcting their mistakes when they come to the dugout from the field or in at bat. That's all I have to do there, and that's my job there. It's just the 12s a little more. But nobody wants to fail, and so they're getting beat down enough by their parents, both parents, moms, dads, coaches. They're not there to fail, so it – they need more encouragement, I think, and more like I treat the high schoolers where they can just go out and play, and it's more about correction afterwards. Yeah, you know, I've, I've coached my own kids, and I coached Select when it was first starting. So I, this 25 years ago, I really kind of coached Select. And, I, I mean, I'm not a pro athlete to, to say this, but what I can tell you is what I learned being, doing that – this is a game. It's fun to play and all of that. And you got to have a, the, the guys that succeed at this 99% of the guys that succeed and become pro athletes love it. I mean, they love the game and they want to get better and do that. But I had kids I coached and select and their parents, I would tell you as a parent, you know, be careful what you do, let your coaches coach them, but don't, don't <coughs> be, don't put all your hopes and dreams into your kid. Let them go enjoy. I had a couple kids that were good athletes who did not enjoy playing and their dads were just total, you know what? And I had to send them aside and tell their dads, I'm going to sit them on the bench. They won't even pay attention to me. They're looking at you. They're not even looking at me. And I'll tell you now, they never played high school ball. They were 12, 13 when we did that, man, let your kid love the game. I, I, that would be my advice. Let them love the game. Don't force them to play the game. Like David said, find something you like. They like soccer. I mean, I, I would love for my kids to be, baseball players hey they played a little bit they didn't like it what what am I going to do I mean you know I've got a kid in theater he loves that go have fun my other son likes to run track and play football so that's what we do all right anybody else got something I've got some questions here to go but anybody else want to ask something what'd you get Chat. out of your <laughs> what popped out of the tent yeah yeah Chad's been <laughs> he's been moving back and forth go ahead Chad <laughs> All right, cool. Hey, man, that advice of uh, just having fun is fantastic, man. I love to hear that because that's where it's at. And, you know, I was going to ask something else, but you know what, man? Let's have a fun question, man. Um, you know, Darren, uh, and this is for all you guys, man. Darren, who's your favorite guy to face, man? Like you knew when you were on the mound when he came up, I got him. 
I got him, man. And same with Jeff and Dave, man. When you couldn't wait to get in the box against a pitcher uh, during your career, man. Who'd you love to face or who'd you love to hit against? Um, well, you know, it's kind of hard to say who I like to face. There was guys that I had success against. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a lot of guys that had success, good success against me. Jason Giambi, he absolutely owned me. Um, if you mm. ever looked up his numbers, it was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Kendrick Jr., I kind of had pretty good success against him, and I didn't really like to say it out loud because, you know, when you start saying stuff like that, he'll get you. But right. you knew it, right. at the latter part of our careers, in the last couple of years, you know, we were uh, we, we, we would joke about it a lot. Um, you know, it was kind of fun. Right on. Uh, usually, though, it just – you know, there's really no rhyme or reason why you like to face a guy or vice versa. It's just, you know, when you, when you get done looking at your career, you know, you can laugh about it. But during the grind, though, you definitely don't want to – say anything because it will come back to bite you the butt yeah. i can I, can i say something yeah, uh go ahead jeff you, know, and, you and david I know, both i know david agrees with me that uh we didn't like pitchers we just especially uh we like the pitchers on our team every pitcher on every other team we hated so uh me personally i loved facing you know the best pitchers I love facing Randy Johnson. I love facing Roger Clemens. Mara, that's the ultimate challenge. You know, if I get a hit off one of those guys, everybody that I grew up with in Oklahoma and California is going to be telling their friends, you see Fry get a hit off Randy Johnson or Clemens? You know, that was cool to be able to do that. It's the guys that, you know, just got called up from AAA that I didn't even really know their name that I would go 0 for 4 with three strikeouts against. <laughs> I was always, always like to face in like, the, the studs, you know. I mean, it's it's more rewarding for you to get out Ken Griffey Jr. D than Joey Cora, right? <laughs> I didn't like facing my friends. I didn't like facing Jeff. Put it that way. It's hard to yeah. face guys you played with, and then you got to face them in a game. It's it's tough. I mean, they're smiling. You can see them in the in the on deck circle. He's smiling, and then they get a couple hits, and then it's just not. It's bragging rights, and next thing you know, you're getting blown up on uh, one of the pre and post games because he hit a cycle off you. So it's just kind of like, you know, I didn't face David. Luckily, he's lucky, but I yeah. faced Jeff a lot. It didn't go. It didn't go very well against me either. <laughs> that was you that he hit the cycle against, wasn't it? The ball should have been caught anyway. That's what I said. Yeah, I didn't. I did not mind facing any right-handed pitcher. I didn't say I was successful. I just didn't mind facing any right-handers. However, obviously, I'm left-handed hitter. I did not want to face Randy Johnson ever. <laughs> but when I got to Milwaukee, we didn't have enough right-handers. So I had to face him 10 times. And um, I was 0 for 9. And then one night in the kingdom, I just said, I'm going to get in the very back of the box. I'm going to get as wide as I can. I'm not going to stride. I'm going to choke up. And I'm just going to try to put one in play. And I – Fastball away, I hit a line drive right over third base all the way down in the corner. And as I'm running, I get a triple out of this, but as I'm running, he is following me around the bases, and he is airing me out. More curse words than you'll ever say in your lifetime probably. So I get to third, and I'm scared to look at him. I'm looking at the coach saying, is he still looking at me? And then uh, come to find out it was the only extra base hit off of by a lefty all year off of Randy. So, you know, I brag about stuff like that. Righties, I wasn't always successful, but I wasn't scared. But funny things when me and Jeff would be playing together, hitting one, two, someone like Eckersley would come in and we'd both get a hit and we'd be like, 
yeah, I'm hitting the thousand against that. <laughs> then one year it was Lee Smith. So we knew they were Hall of Famers. We're like, yep, thousand off of Lee Smith. Well, things like that were fun. But you know, you did, you remember those because they were great pitchers, like Jeff said. Hey, guys, we're going to start to wind this down. I got a few questions I'm going to ask these guys real quick, and then we'll wind this thing up. Uh, one that I've already asked Jeff, uh, and Jeff's had all of these. I'm going to ask uh, Darren and, and David. Hey, where were you? And tell us about when you got called up. Where were you at? I was in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, with the double-A team, and uh, the big league team was playing in Boston, 1993. And I actually had to get into the game. I don't know how. I don't know why. I was scared to death. Through the first pitch against the backstop. These guys are probably up there, and they were probably up there like another year or two before me. Um, they were on the fast track. I guess I was on the slow track. But so how, how did you find? How did you find out? Uh, the manager called you in, called you in, and said, "Hey, you're going up to the big leagues," and you know immediately you call your parents, and then next thing you know, you're flying first class, which I had never done before either. So that was kind of exciting. From Tulsa. Yes. Where were you headed? <laughs> We were in Bo they were in Bo the team was in Boston. They were on the road. Okay. David, what about you? I know you were playing in Midland, weren't you? Yeah, well, the first we were I was in Tulsa and was just on fire. And uh, they called me up and I flew to Camden in Baltimore. And so I get dressed and I go out there and I sit the whole game and it starts raining and this and that. And Pudge gets hurt at the end of that game. And they're like, oh. Uh, we got to send you back down. We need a catcher tomorrow. So then they sent me back down the same night to Midland. So then I was playing the series in Midland, and they said, all right, you're getting called back up. So I went to Medham in Minnesota. And so my first gig was there in Minnesota, and I was starting that very first game hitting – I wasn't leadoff at the time, but, hey, first pitch I ever saw, hit a line drive right up the middle past Willie Banks' ear. And then it was history. I got worse ever since. Every other game after that, I just kept getting oh, worse. No. <laughs> well, it's funny you said that because the reason I knew it was Midland is I've got a, an uncle who's a big Ranger fan who lives in Hobbs, New Mexico. And when Tulsa would come to town, he or Frisco now, he would always try to get over and catch the team. And he watched you play. He said it was wild. He said you were playing center field the night before, and the next night you were in Minnesota. And he goes, I was watching Hulse last night in Midland. And yeah. so I, he'll – he tells me that story all the time he's seen a few of them that way so i knew you were in midland when that happened let me ask you about uh, let's see here uh both of you guys and jeff your yours is pretty funny too you've, you've talked about it already you got the you were leading off with nolan ryan leading off or batting second and you end up going three for four the hulse what'd you do first did you get a hit your first game My, yeah first pitch i saw i lined right out the middle Line drive up the middle. Darren, what about you? Did you strike them out or somebody bomb on you? Uh, no, I threw the first pitch against uh, the screen in Boston, Fenway. <laughs> hey, it worked for Nuke Lelouch, right? I was facing Mike Greenwell, and then um, I ended up, they just, it was an intentional walk. That was the only batter I faced. I went inside, and I didn't really know the rules back then because, you know, I came up from double A. I went inside and immediately started crushing the spread. <laughs> And this guy named Butch, this guy named Butch Davis comes in and goes, hey, man, hey, man, you can't be in there eating up all the food. I was like, hey, I didn't know I was hungry. You know, I saw, I saw some food. I started eating. <laughs> that is awesome. 
Okay, tell me your best, the best thing you loved about the big leagues. I mean, uh, was it the travel? Was it the stadiums? Was it the fans? I mean, I mean, you, you guys probably have a lot of different ones. None of us ever made it to the big leagues. Jeff, you've had some great stories in the big leagues. Uh, you know, both of y'all talk about something you just loved in the big leagues. What did you love about it the most? That wasn't the travel, but there were some nice cities to go to. It was more about – um, just accomplishing your dreams and your goals that you actually made it. And then, you know, from that point on, it's like, I got to do whatever I can to stay here. So just the fact that I made it was enough for me. And then, um, but there were some awesome stadiums you wanted to go and play in like Yankee stadium and Fenway and some of the old ones that you would see as a kid on TV. And um, that was pretty exciting. But, but then the city life around when you had downtime was pretty fun too. So a lot of good memories. I mean, I'd like to say it was all those good games I had, but there weren't that many. So uh, <laughs> just the fact that I made it. Hey, let me tell you you're going to go, go with that, David? Yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> you're not going to give him the real answer. You know, I'm going to give you guys the real answer, but this time I'm going to play it. Besides the paychecks, besides <laughs> that, because that's really the truth. That, oh, I mean, that's, like, that's a given, right? That's a given. So hey, you got, you got a significant raise when you got to the big leagues. You know, from, so besides that, besides the pace, like mine was just the friendships. From 1500 a month in AA to that first check I got in the big leagues, it was like, huh? Is that, when you're done playing the game the like thing. we are, when you're yeah. done playing and you don't get those paychecks anymore, you're like, dang. Yeah. Like, you know, at the time you're not thinking about it, but, you know, when, you, when you're playing, you're like, well, damn, like, it was, hey, it was nice. Not gonna lie, it's even worse when you get paid on the plane, and then some other dude comes and show you his with about seven or eight zeros on it behind it. Like, <laughs> I mean, because you figure everybody else cares. Like when you saw Pat Mahomes' contract, you're like, "Damn, you you know, like let's be honest." So I was like, "Woo, that's a lot of money." Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. And any and any job. <clears throat> so, what, Darren, what was your best pitch? I mean, you know, I always think the best pitch is a, a located, good located fastball. Did you, you know? throw a two seam or and a four seam or just one of the? I threw a little bit of everything, John. Let's be honest now. <laughs> hey, 20 threw, years, you mixed it up. <laughs> yes, I, I can throw it all. Whatever you want, I can throw it. Hey, I'm not kidding. When, now, you, y'all don't even know when he came up, this dude threw hard. He was yeah, striking he out. He, struck, he was striking out 10 players a game. Yep. And then, and then to, his, he got hurt, he got old, whatever it was, you got to give him props for learning how to pitch. I mean, besides just blowing people away, he actually learned how to pitch, worked on a cut or whatever it was. He said whatever pitch I needed towards the end of his career, and that's what made him so successful, that he was smart, as he says, on words with friends, but he did learn how to pitch at the end of his career. That's what kept look him at, Look at David pumping my tires right now. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> That's why he's his golf partner and not me. Because <laughs> uh, even though I'm a better golfer, no. Uh, honestly, when Darren first when Darren first got called up, he was throwing like 95 to 97 with a freaking curveball, yellow hammer that would just buckle dudes' knees. I remember him throwing it to Jim Tomey, and he told me he was like, "Oh my god, it was nasty." And then. After nine or ten years, he didn't have the velocity, and to his credit, Bob Apodaca, I believe, taught him a cutter, and he became a completely different type of pitcher and had 
five consecutive years with an ERA in the twos, you know, in his 30s. And that's, you know, that's kind of like what he said earlier. Um, you have to adapt. You have to, I mean, if you don't, if you can't hit the ball out anymore, you got to find a way to succeed. And the guys who played as long as he did, did that. I don't think a lot of people know, Jeff, that um, just a little up. So I had Scott Boris for a long time as an agent. So then once I fired him, Jeff was my agent for 10 years. I knew that. How about that? Yeah. A lot of people don't know that, but how about that? Your, buddy, your buddy's your agent. We had, we had a good run, didn't we, Jeff? We did, man. We did. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, he you loved know, it when you – he loved it when you played 10 more years after he became – Yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> like that. Yeah. I got a couple yeah, – I mean, the first out. year I became an agent, I have a big leaguer as a client. That's kind of hard to do. I was just lucky, you know. Yeah. All right, I got a couple for you, David, real quick, and then we're going to end it with uh, when you knew it was over. But we've got to ask you about the two things that – the funny things about David Hulse that everyone sees on the YouTube videos that are viral. First of all, it was your rookie year when you got called up that year, the four foul balls that you hit into that dugout. Tell us about that. What was going on? I mean, you're laughing at about the fourth time you did it, but if y'all haven't seen this video, he cleared a dugout after four straight foul balls went into that corner. Talk, talk, tell us about that. See, I told y'all it wasn't any good. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, yes, the night game before the day game to end the season in Anaheim or California, whatever it was back then. Yeah. So I come up to Batten uh, facing this reliever named Joe Gray. He throws a fastball in. It saws me off, and I hit a line drive foul ball into the third base dugout where the Angels were. Right in the corner, and there were two guys sitting down there, one guy named Rob Ducey, and one was a security guard. And it rattles in there. And they had these, like, fiberglass dugout back. The back of them were, like, fiberglass, so you could hear it thud and rattle around. And it was like, ooh, oh, man, that was tough. So, the, you know, the security guard grabs a towel, and he's like, no more. So the very next pitch, same spot. And uh, security guard and the trainer was down there, too, the head trainer at the time. He's still waving the towel. Rob Ducey's cuddled up in a little ball with a glove now in the corner. And the trainer said, no, I've had enough. And he walks completely up the aisle towards the uh, uh, clubhouse. And so they're like, all right, there's no way it happens again. But Rob Ducey stays down there with the glove curled up. Sure enough, bang, another one in there. And he's like, nah, I'm out. And so everyone at this point has moved to the far end of the dugout, right where the tunnel goes up into the clubhouse. And it's all exciting and laughing and everybody's having a good time. And they're like, even someone on the TV says something. There's no yeah, way. Yeah, they say something about it. Yeah, yeah. sure enough. Bang, another <laughs> one in there. And that the crowd just erupts. Everybody's that that pretty much did it. So I'm still trying to hit. And uh, I hit a ground ball to short and you know, I run it out and I'm out. And it's probably the first time I've ever gotten like a standing ovation in an away <laughs> ballpark. But the thing people didn't see, the next day, Burt Blylevin is pitching his last game ever, Hall of Famer. So I'm leading off. I'm always serious because I'm a rookie and I don't want to show people up. And I'm digging in and the catcher goes, I'm all ready. And the catcher goes, man, can you step out for a minute, relax? And I go, what? And he goes, look in our dugout. There was no one in their dugout except a guy in full catcher's gear. <laughs> and, and so then I look out. I still can't show this guy up. He's Hall of Famer. I look out and finally Blylevin's laughing. So I kind of have, I can lighten up for a minute. But people never saw that part of it. And to me, that was one of the funniest things. That's great story. I'm glad that I got you on here to hear that. That's funny. But you know, the story everyone wants to hear also 
is uh, you were the closest person to Jose Canseco when he uh, decided <laughs> to play soccer for a second and head the ball over the fence. Were you, I mean, you were tracking it. Was there any point where you thought you might have a chance or were you just there for to, to you know, like you're supposed to come in maybe for cutoff? Tell us what you saw from the time the ball left the bat. You were laughing on film. That's hysterical because he had no clue, did he? No, he didn't have a clue. But as the first responder, I'll give you my two cents worth. Uh, no, it's a routine fly ball that any outfielder should make from 12 to 40. I don't care what age you are. So I'm just, you know, there just in case, just running over because that's what you do. You run over to the vicinity and say, hey, nice catch. And I saw it hit off and I go, oh, my. And I start to laugh. And I, first, I, I, as a rookie, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I said, did that hit you on the head? And you can see in the video, it goes, no, it went off my glove. And that's when I really fell out. And I try to turn around and laugh, but I forget I'm in the big leagues and there's cameras everywhere, so I get busted laughing. But uh, just the 27th anniversary wasn't too long ago, so uh, Norm Hitchkiss was doing the call that night. Yep. Uh, he, they had me on the ticket, and, you know, he was talking about it too, and he had his famous little line of doink or boink or whatever it was. Yeah. So there's – it was it was fun, but, you know, the next day we did the old thing, put the – tape the glove on top of his hat and his locker, you know, like big leaguers would do. And just like when a guy would run into a wall, make a play or something or not make the play to tape like a sketch outline of his body on the tape. So it was funny, but the fact that he said it hit off my glove is what set me off. Hey Jeff, did, did you talk to Darren after the cycle game? I mean, you, uh, <laughs> We probably had went to lunch that day. Who knows? I think we would, We did go to lunch, but I don't know if it was that day, but we did hang out. Or the next day. I mean, that's a little bit – you talk about giving somebody on the give, – give them some hell on the golf course or whatever. No, uh, no. Because I realized that, like, the two hits I got off Darren should have both been caught. So, you know. So. He's finally going to admit that. He didn't admit I had, that on I had, TV, to, I had to go meet with Darren and say, here, give this money to Ricky Leday. Because uh, I think. <laughs> oh, that was the pop up to right that ended up being a triple, a, right? That was not a pop up. Look at the box score. It's a triple. I, yeah. I, I have the box score here. He played it like Canseco. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and Canseco's, Canseco uh, was a great hitter, but he wasn't a good outfielder. And oh, his yeah. nickname, his nickname in the outfield was Shaky. <laughs> he was shaky out there. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Billy Ripken. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's hey. I didn't think I felt that though, Jeff. In center field, I got Juan Gonzalez and Jose Canseco on either side of me. It's pretty much just go get it and hope you don't run into one of them. Oh yeah. my God, David, you have from here to here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna give them a little bit on the edge. You've got that's the funny. rest of it. So, guys, uh, Darren, Darren, you played twenty years. I mean, and you ended the season at the end of the year. So, I mean, was it? Did you just know when was it that you knew it was over? I mean, you didn't come back. That <laughs> I knew it was over a couple of years before that, but they just kept calling. Ask <laughs> Jeff on that one. I think I was. You know, if it was funny, I'll tell you a quick little story. So, I was at uh, Universal Studios, Disney World, doing the Disney World thing in the off season. Jeff was calling me, and I was like, uh, "He's hey man, this is what they're offering." I said. I go, I go, this is what I want. I want this, this, and this. And so he calls them back, and they're like, nope, you can't do it. I said, all right, don't worry about it then. And five, was it like five minutes later, Jeff? They said, deal is done. I was like, uh-oh, I got to go to Toronto for two years now. Swear to God. <laughs> was, was I not done, Jeff? I was done. Oh, yeah, he's like, 
just ask him for seven million. I was like, all right, I'll ask him. <laughs> I don't say no. And then I like called back. And it was terrible too because he's at Universal Studios and I'm like trying to get a deal done. I call him. He's like, I can't talk, man. Uh, it's uh, hands free in California. I want to get a ticket. And he hung up. And I'm like, what the heck? What are you doing? I'm trying to get you $7 million. Yeah, he's trying to get a hold of me because about like, the deal. I'm like, man, I don't have time for that right now, man. It's a small world after all. <laughs> I'm on yeah, the one-on-one, like, one, man. It's backed up. I can't be on the phone right now. <laughs> then I'm like on the phone with Alex Anthropolis. He's like, yeah, all right, we'll do $7 million. We'll just structure as part of a two-year deal. I was like, all right, Darren, Darren. He's like, man, I can't talk right now. <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. What about you, David? That's a sad story. Darren knows too well. Yeah, I, I saw I saw him get hurt. I saw it. I was like, yeah, we were playing a day game after a night Milwaukee. game in Milwaukee, and uh, we were playing the Rangers. And unfortunately, Pudge has the day games off after a night game because I might have still been able to play a long time because Pudge doesn't block, block the plate. Well, uh, in this day game, Dave Valley was catching, and Dave Valley did block the plate. He's old school. Uh, I just came in to pinch run. It's just ridiculous. I sat the whole game, and they said, go pinch run at third. So the play was, sometimes when you're third, you said you're going on ground ball contact. Yeah. All right. All right. So I took off, and they hit it to first. And I swear I was around him. I tried to go all the way around and just slide by and touch home plate with my hand. Well, unfortunately, uh, and I slid head first. But unfortunately, my arm went between Dave Valley's leg, and I kept going, but my arm didn't, and then he planted a tag on me, and his uh, knee hit me right here and put my humerus right about there. Oh, my gosh. So I tried to get up, and I couldn't because now my arm was a different length, and three doctors jumped out of the stands before I got up. They already saw it. They already knew. Might have so heard it. Cut my jersey off, literally sat holding pressure, pulling my arm, would seem like 10 to 20 minutes and it wouldn't release because all my muscles had contracted and they finally did. And, um, that was pretty much the end because when I went to Birmingham, Dr. Andrews sat down and he goes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get this where you can play catch with your kid one day. And I, was like, <laughs> I go, you gotta be kidding me. I'm 28. I'm about to have a free agency year. I got to, I'm in my prime. I'm playing this next season. He goes, all right, we'll see. And so it didn't work out. I signed a free agent deal with the Padres couldn't get to San Diego in 97. Signed with someone in 98, couldn't get there. And finally had my arm good enough to just grow. Let's not say good, but uh, signed on with this independent league. It was the Atlantic League that had just started in 98. Played there, lead the league in hitting. Red Sox called me up at the end of the year, Triple A. Play there, hit 340. Good. Okay. Next season, I go to St. Louis. So now I'm at St. Louis in spring training with Darren and uh, break my ankle. <laughs> oh. So I break my ankle there in spring training. I miss a lot of that season. So I go play in Memphis and I hit 330, 340 again. Don't get called up. So I go, I'm going to try one more year. And I'm with the Braves down in Orlando at Wide World of Sports. Hit a ground ball. I'm running. Just something pops, throws me over the base. I looked down my, one of my hamstring tendons had ruptured and rolled up the back of my leg. So um, that's when I knew it was over because uh, speed was my game and it took a year to recover from that one. I was like, yeah, that's all. Never really retired, it just injuries kicked me out of the game. 
Don't slide head first in the home plate. Home plate. That's, that's all I can say. He knows that. <laughs> hey guys, look, we've been on here an hour and a half, and I appreciate everybody coming on. I want to thank everybody for coming on here. We're going to wind this thing down. We'll try to maybe get together again. Darren, uh, uh, Dave, I'd love to have y'all on just y'all one time. We'll just talk a long time some baseball. Uh, to Seth, Brendan, Matt, Chad, Eric, thanks for joining us. I know Naomi was there earlier. Uh, special thanks to Darren Oliver, Jeff Fry, David Hulls for coming on here and talking to you guys. I really appreciate it. Like I say at the end of everything I write or at the end of every one of these, nerd out. Thanks, guys.